Testament reading is from Daniel, the sixth chapter. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. 
The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, peace be with you this day from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who gives you his righteous protection now and for eternity. Amen. Well, this morning we're getting into the Daniel and the lion's den story. Again, as you heard a little bit in the children's message, and now uh, as we dig in a little bit deeper, this, uh, this reading from Daniel chapter 6 is one that, for those of us who have the privilege of being raised in the church, we were raised with this story, right, in this kind of kid's tale. And when we were kids, this was a story of, uh, it was a story of survival, right, and it was like, it was like more than you could ever imagine being thrown into a den of lions because you maybe had seen a lion in a zoo and you think, thought to yourself, boy, I, I don't know what that would be like, and it kind of scared you. And then as an adult, you kind of revisit this story, and it scares you on a different level, right? On an entirely different level because of the, the corruption that you see and the tricks that are played and the deceit that is had and what ends up happening to God's righteous servant. And you begin to ask questions of yourself and of your own life, like, what if you do something that's righteous? Will God protect you in the same way? And what if, what if in your life you're asked to make the decision between what is righteous, what you know to be true, and what could potentially get you into some serious trouble? And to be able to make that, to be able to, to walk that line and, and to take that step of faith is one which challenges us and one which we acknowledge is, is really at the core of saying, do I have that kind of fortitude? Do I have that kind of faith that I believe that I would do what's right because I trust God's righteous protection. Daniel did. Daniel trusted God's righteous protection, right? That's what's going on in this account. That's what's going on in this, in this story from Daniel chapter six. We meet a king named Darius, and King Darius has just taken over the kingdom not too long before. He's 62 years old when he takes over. He's a wise man and a good king. He rules over a huge, huge swath of land. I mean, he's the king at the time. In fact, he's got all of these grandiose, impressive titles. He is called Darius the Great. He is actually called, this is actually one of his titles, he is called the king of kings because his territory, the Medo-Persian Empire, is so vast. It's around 500 BC, and they're the big kids on the block. And Darius, as he inherits this kingdom, now wants to rule well. And in order to rule well, he sets up advisors over the whole land. 
And he sets up 120 satraps with three administrators over them. And we don't need to get too deep into Medo-Persian politics for you to understand that this is kind of a system of hierarchy. You have the king who can't possibly rule all of this territory himself. And so he sets up people to help him rule. And among these 120 satraps is a man named Daniel. But what's unique about Daniel is that he worships the God of, the Jude- uh, he worships the God of Israel the living God who is called Yahweh. And as he rules over this entire swath of land, Darius the Great, he looks for those people who can help him administer well. And Daniel's one of those guys, right? He's one of those guys who can help him rule well. He does the right thing. He's upright and just. I mean, if you look at the things that are said about him, and he distinguishes himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, such that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. Right? Daniel was impressive in what he did. Understand, this is, a, this is a point of contact for us. Because Daniel was a man of faith, he ruled with integrity. The things that he did were upright. King Darius, who did not know or trust his God, knew and trusted Daniel because Daniel knew and trusted his God. You see, Daniel distinguished himself as a worker because that's what his faith compelled him to do. And Darius recognized it. But Daniel was just one of 120. Well, 123 if you count the three administrators. And he's just one of of lots of people who are in the kingdom. And so when the other administrators get jealous of Daniel, when the other administrators decide in their power-hungry way that they need to take him down, they decide the only way they can do it is to approach him based on his faith, is to issue a decree or get a decree issued in the land that will allow Daniel to be the one who is the lawbreaker and they become the righteous ones because they know that Daniel will not defy his God in order to uphold the law of the king. They know that Daniel can't defy his God in favor of the king and they know that's the only way they're going to take Daniel down and achieve their power-hungry ways. So that's exactly what they do. They come to Darius with a decree. And the decree is pretty simple, right? The, the edict, it's, it's a tribute. For the next 30 days, O king, no one is to pray to any god or man except you. And the king, being an egomaniacal king of kings of the world, thinks, this sounds like a pretty good idea. You know, I was thinking the same thing just this morning. I mean, I am pretty spectacular. Wouldn't it be great if I'm the only one that anybody prays to in the kingdom for the next 30 days? I mean, this is, we're right on the same page here. But the edict is a trap. And now understand, understand that this stiff penalty that comes with it isn't one that he thinks he'll have to use for somebody as distinguished as Daniel. You see, you can understand what happens in the account. Because Daniel can't disobey his God in favor of the king. He goes home and he prays three times. And what's interesting is it says he's giving thanks to his God. And, and again, we can, we can say this is a great point of contact for us because what does Daniel have to give thanks for at this point? 122 people have just turned their backs on him. 122 people have just 
have just worked together, conspired together to get the king to issue a decree that could get him thrown in the lion's den. And what does Daniel do? He goes home and he prays and he gives thanks to his God. Now, understand that it's, we read the story and we're looking at it from Daniel's point of view and so it's, it's really easy for us to say, why didn't Darius know that this was going to affect Daniel? He thought so highly of Daniel. Remember, Darius is king over a large kingdom. And so for him to forget one person in his kingdom, even if it's Daniel, isn't that hard to understand. In fact, for those of you that raised multiple children, admit that there were times when you forgot one of your kids, when you were thinking to yourself like, hey, let's have dinner tonight. We're going to have meatloaf. And you're like, oh, the kids will love meatloaf. No, that one kid doesn't love meatloaf and you forgot. And now make yourself king or queen over a large swath of land with, with potentially lots of people who don't like meatloaf. It's hard to think about just one, even if you are the king of kings. So Daniel goes home and prays and gets found out. The plan succeeded and the deceivers now have their evidence against Daniel. And by the way, I love, I love the fact that they have to go and find him out right? They have to go find it. They have to show their true colors. They have to go seek him out. And as they do that, they come back to Darius and say, hey, Darius, we got him. Remember the decree you issued? And remember, it's according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which can't be repealed. And so Darius must act. Darius must be just, even if that justice doesn't cover everyone in his kingdom. And so verse 14, Darius is greatly distressed. And for until sundown, excuse me, and until sundown, he made every effort to rescue Daniel and to save him. Now that's pretty remarkable. Because understand that at this moment, the most powerful person in the entire kingdom is trying himself to rescue Daniel, is trying to make it so that Daniel isn't thrown into the lion's den. And so what would he have done? He would have held court. Right? He would have asked for witnesses to come in. He would have asked for character witnesses on behalf of Daniel. He would have asked Daniel himself to come in. He would have brought these satraps and administrators in by themselves, one at a time. He would have interviewed them. What exactly did you see? He made every effort until sundown to free Daniel because he didn't want to do what he had to do. But the bottom line is that he could not save Daniel. And so Daniel is carried off to the lion's den and thrown in. And the king says this, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. This is a fervent plea. This isn't just words on a paper. This is a fervent plea. This is him saying, if your God is who you think he is, may he do for you what you have asked. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And then I think the most interesting details that are given for us, and I I think these are ones that as an adult really paint the picture for us and color it in so that we can understand exactly what's going on in the king's mind. What happens immediately after this? The stone is brought in and placed at the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then verse 18, then the king returned to his palace 
and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. The king had a very long night. And this isn't normal for the king of kings. It's not normal for him to agonize for one entire night over somebody in his kingdom about something like this. But he could not sleep. He could not sleep because he knew what was happening. King Darius actually cared for Daniel. But he couldn't rescue him. And he couldn't save him. But then what happens? Verse 20. The first light of dawn, that's verse 19. The first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel, is your God God or not? Think about that question for a second. And think about the challenges of your own life. About the times when you cling to your faith. About the times when you rely on your faith. And to imagine those who are around you looking at you in the midst of your trial, in the midst of all that's happening, in the midst of, of the situation in which you find yourself, no matter what that situation might be, and asking you that same question. In the midst of all of this, is your God, God. And I wonder, I wonder how much of a surprise it was for Darius when he heard a voice answer. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to have Daniel lifted out of the lion's den. It's a fulfillment of Psalm 30, verse 5. For the Lord's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Listen, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes with the morning. Rejoicing comes with the dawn. The king himself is overjoyed because God has sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions to preserve Daniel and to give evidence of his righteous protection. To give evidence that God is God. You see, Darius did everything to try to rescue and save Daniel, but he couldn't because he was not God. And Daniel did what was right in heaven and on earth. And Daniel's actions were right. And I've pointed out the ways that Darius cared for Daniel, but I also want you to note the care that Daniel has for his king. Note that Daniel isn't contemptuous toward his king, that Daniel doesn't rub in his face their differences and tell him, well, because you serve a different God, then therefore I'm not going to serve you. No, on the contrary, you need to see how Daniel honors his king. Even when he disobeys the edict, it tells us that Daniel went home and prayed at his house. Now, there are lots of different interpretations about this. They all center around one fact. Daniel did not want to dishonor his king. He could have prayed right where he was, right in the presence of the king and of his court. But instead, he went home so as not to rub his king's face in it. He did what was righteous. He did what was right before his God but he wasn't trying to make a scene. 
And then in verses 21 and 22, when he calls out first thing in the light of dawn that he is alive, he doesn't say, ha ha, king, I'm still alive, you didn't get me. Instead, he uses the typical greeting of a leader. May the king live forever. I'm going to be honest with you. In that moment, I'd probably be tempted to say, I don't know, king, why don't you come in here and find out how I am? See, at that point, he's already got a kinship with the lions. May the king live forever. And then he assures the king that by honoring his God, he was not intending to dishonor the king. In fact, on the contrary, he says, look, in this entire time, I've done nothing wrong before you, your majesty. It's this edict that you issued. Daniel doesn't hold this action against King Darius. And why is this so important? And why are we taking so much time with this? It's very simple, brothers and sisters. It's very simple. You see, through this entire event with Daniel, God is trying to reach Darius. Do you see that? Through this entire account, God is trying to reach Darius. You see, we focus on the story, and we call it Daniel in the lion's den. And we talk about how, how Daniel was rescued and how he stayed alive. And his kids, that's what we think about. And that's a wonderful point of the text. But what's most important is that God wants to reach even Darius. And he uses his servant to do it. And Daniel is willing. You see, God allows Darius to know something about God. That God protects his people. God allows Darius to know something about God, that while Darius is an earthly king who is called the king of kings, God truly is the king of kings. That while Daniel, well, excuse me, while Darius can administer justice throughout his kingdom and exempt a few, God is one who can administer justice to all. That while the king can't possibly think of everyone in his kingdom, God, the true king of kings, can. And while Darius can't even rescue the person he considers to be the most powerful in his kingdom, God can. This is evidence of God's righteous protection. This is evidence of what God does for his people. This is evidence of how God knows us. You see, that's, that's how we get into this text now for us. That's how it becomes more than just a story that we tell. That's how it becomes a story worth remembering for us. It's understanding the connection that God is foreshadowing the protection with which he will encase us. And not from, not from lions, but from the enemies which attack us. The enemies of sin, death, and the devil. And and the great details in the text, and it's not an accident, instead it's a picture. And so you have a den, and you have a tomb. And you have a stone that is rolled in front and sealed with signet rings, and you have a stone that is rolled in front and sealed with signet rings. And you have a sense of those who are out to get the righteous one, of those who have done this just because. And then there's even the long night, the long night of anguish and agony, of not knowing what will come with the dawn's light. I think of King Darius, a lot like the apostle Peter, who had forsaken his Lord. And then at first light of dawn, 
You have the king running to the den. That first light of dawn, you have the women hurrying to the tomb to anoint the body. You have the running of Peter and John to the tomb. You have an anguished call. Are you alive? And you have a miraculous voice. Yes. But of course, there is a major difference. That's that Daniel was not asked to give his life, but Jesus was. That Jesus was dead inside the tomb. Even though he was found innocent of his sins, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. And in the morning, there is joy. There is joy. And so there are three things that we can learn from this account from Daniel. Three things which we apply very closely to our lives. First of all, that we must obey God rather than men. That we must obey God rather than men. That we must do what is righteous in God's sight even if the world doesn't agree. And, and now, and here's always the danger in this, is that we hear something different than what's actually being spoken. That we must obey God rather than men. And we must make sure that we are actually obeying God. We must make sure that if we actually disobey, that it's something that's unrighteous. Second thing we have to understand is that if we find ourselves in that situation, that we make sure that we are willing to accept the consequences. You notice that Daniel doesn't marshal his forces. Daniel, Daniel invariably had a group of people who would have gone to fight for him. He was righteous and upright. People appreciated his leadership. He could have gathered around him a small army of people very quickly. He could have gathered up other believers. He could have said, hey, let's fight against this edict. But instead, he submits to the law of the land. But the most important thing in all of this is that as we follow God's righteous action, that we trust God's righteous protection, that we trust what God does for us, that we take our stand against sin and against the effects of sin, that we take our stand against those things which the world says are okay but God says are not, that we take our stand not against people but against sin. Now there's a story that I'm going to tell you and for some of you it'll be a little bit too divisive. But, it, but it's something that I think really fits this story well and it's about two people that I know very well. It's about about a pastor in Michigan and about a police officer, a former police officer in Michigan. The pastor is Pastor Ted Jungkunst. In the 1980s, Pastor Ted was very active in the anti-abortion movement, very active in the pro-life cause in Michigan. And he and a group of people, a group of very faithful people of about 100, 150, uh, used to go periodically throughout the year and they would, they would trespass at the Planned Parenthood and they would surround the place so that no one could get inside. And it was a peaceful protest, but it was a protest. It was peaceful, but they were breaking the law. Everyone who came inside, they would offer to pray. They didn't oppose them. They didn't fight them. One particular day, Pastor Ted tells the story. They were standing there at the side, and again, he had, believe it or not, a great reputation among the people of the clinic. He would actually pray, pray with the workers and the doctors as they went in. But he was trespassing. 
and they knew it. And so this one particular day, the call went to the police, and the police officer who got the call to go and arrest the trespassers was Officer Jim Fink. Officer Jim Fink was an elder of the church where Pastor Ted Junkunst was the pastor. And so now he had to go and arrest his pastor. Now, Officer Fink agreed with what he was doing there, but he had to he had to, in fact, enforce the law, and so that's exactly what he did. But now, you pick up the story from Officer Fink's point of view, and he said, look, there's always two ways to arrest people. You can do it quickly, or you can do it by the book. And so what they did was they arrested each one of them by the book, which meant that it took about 20 minutes to arrest each of the protesters, and you can do the math in your head and know that it took them the entire day to remove all of the protesters from the front of the abortion clinic. And the most amazing part of the story is that when the two of them tell their accounts, neither one of them knew what was going to happen. And as the two of them tell their accounts, both of them said, all I want to do is to do what's right. And I think the most amazing thing is that whenever Pastor Ted tells the story, he always says this, God protected us that day through Officer Jim Fink. And what I find most ironic about that is that Ted spent two weeks in jail because of that day. And yet he says, God protected me that day through the actions of Officer Jim Fink. They had done what was righteous in both counts, following what they thought to be true and right, following the ways that they thought they were led, both doing their jobs and yet both being preserved in the midst of it. And and again, maybe you say, well, that story is too charged for me to follow, but I want you to understand that God calls us to be bold in our faith. That as we walk in our faith and do what we believe to be right in God's eyes, it means that at times we will make difficult decisions. It means at times we will walk paths where we say, this is going to end. Well, I don't know how it's going to end. But I trust that in the midst of it, God will see me through. And so, brothers and sisters, we're, we're called to stories worth remembering. We're called to see God's righteous activity in our lives and to experience God's righteous protection, but we're called, above all else, to see in the Scriptures the picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us, to see the ways that he forgives us for our unrighteousness, the ways that he calls us into his family of protection now and for eternity the ways that we live in the kingdom of the great King of Kings who knows each of us by name and preserves us by his love. In the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ, amen.